0: Amen. You may be seated. If you would bow with me in prayer before we open God's word together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this time that we have here together. We thank you for this place that you've provided. We thank you for your word uh, that you tell us that it is, is life giving and it's life creating and it's life recreating and that it's uh, eternal and that we can trust it and that you've persevered and and, uh, kept it for us preserved it for us and uh, I pray that this morning as we open it that your spirit would lead and guide and teach us uh, apply this to our hearts and our lives show us exactly uh, what it means for us to be trusting in you and all things and uh, we thank you that you've given us your word we pray all these things in Jesus precious name amen Uh, we're going to start this week Uh, A new series uh, for the last week, I guess we're the last uh, weekend in May here and then going through June, we're going to do a series just on the idea of our work or our vocation, what we do day to day in work and how what God tells us and what he teaches us in his word and what he shows us and how that connects to it. Uh, I want us to think through as as we spend time in this and looking at this together. My hope is that this would be practically helpful to you as we think on these things. Uh, uh, The truth is, every single week you come here, we will talk about the cross of Jesus. Uh, Almost every week you come here, you will hear that we're to make disciples we're to be disciples and be making disciples. And we'll talk about that a lot.
1: And uh, we say that a
0: lot. That is the mission of the church uh, to be disciples and to make disciples, uh, to bring every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus. And hopefully you are encouraged by that and you hear that and you leave. But the truth is, for every one of us, just about tomorrow morning, uh your alarm will go off. Right. And you'll have to get up and you'll have to do some things or you'll have some things in front of you that you have to go about and you have to start to look at. And uh, some of you, it'll be get up and go to a place of employment where you earn a paycheck. Some of you, it'll be other things that you have to do. Some will be get up and, and take care of a baby or, or, or different things that are just right in front of you in your life. And so all those things that we have in front of us and God tells us a lot about through scripture, what that looks like and how we do that and how that looks. And so I want us to think about that you This morning, for a little bit, in the next few weeks, just thinking about our work and what we do, where God's called us, places He's put us in, the things He's put in front of us, and how we do that for His glory and what that looks like. And so that's kind of where we're headed. Uh, As I was thinking about that, I thought of the different things that I have to do each day that come. We can often talk about work and think about our employment, but I don't have to tell any of you. We have a lot more things than just our job that we go to that we have to do every week. There's a lot of things that come up I think of like I've got to mow the yard right and I've got to take the trash out and uh, uh, yesterday I was painting I'm touching up paint in my house and and painting on the back and doing those things and we have all kinds of things that come into our life that we have to do and we have to be about and we have to get on with and and, uh, I was thinking about just those little things that come up and then I was thinking about back uh, different jobs that I've had through my life of uh, the good and the, and the bad. Uh, uh, some of the bad ones that come to mind is I worked for a builder putting up silk fence for a summer. If you know what silk fence is, it's a little black fence that's around all the construction sites. And so I would dig trenches and then I'd put the fence up and then I'd bury the bottom of the fence and I'd do that all day for like three months. <laughs> and it was like 95 degrees outside and it was miserable. <laughs> I'm so thankful that I don't have that job now. Or I worked at CC's Pizza and I cleaned the kitchen at CC's Pizza when I was in college Really did not like that job either. And so uh, different things that we've had and different things that have come. Uh, I spent uh, a year and a half drawing floodgates at an architectural firm in Houston. If you don't know what a floodgate is, it's really, really boring. And uh, I drew all the little details on how they go together. And so uh, I did that for a long time. And so different times in our life, uh, maybe you can relate to that. You've had jobs like that. Maybe you're in a job like that right now that makes it kind of hard to get up in the morning and be really excited about what you're doing. And that can be the truth for all of us and where God's us, in different seasons and different things. And sometimes it can be real hard when the alarm goes off and I've got to get up and go do this. And you go, oh, I'm not real excited about doing this. And so hopefully as we walk through this and look at what God's words told us and what he lays out for us and some of the things that point to our work and what that looks like, hopefully this is practically helpful to you that it's encouraging no matter where you are or what season you're in or what you're doing or the things that you have in front of you. And so as we think about that, what I want us to do today is we're really going to start at the end, uh, how the fullness of this comes together, because I think if we know the end, if we know where everything's going and where it's headed and what God's doing, it makes as we're walking through what we're doing a lot different, it makes it a lot better. I think in a lot of ways. If You can think of it this way. If you've ever watched a movie that's really, really suspenseful, uh, maybe a horror movie or a murder mystery or something like that. And it's got you on the edge of your seat and you don't. There's lots of changes and things coming at you and you don't really know what's going on. And you're constantly in this state, almost anxious about what's coming and you don't know. And you get to the end of the movie and everything resolves and you go, oh, that was a great movie. And then you go back and you watch it again. And then suddenly you're not quite so anxious about what's going to happen. You see where it's going. You see how it's going to unfold. And it suddenly changes the way you view it. And I think the truth in that is that we see that in God's story and where he's moving and what he's going to do and how he's going to bring it all to fruition. And when we see that big picture, suddenly the job that we wake up and go to tomorrow changes the way we look at it a little bit. Or at least that's my hope this morning As we think through and look at this together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at just the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. I read uh, the last eight verses of that to you just a moment ago. But the very last verse just says, be steadfast. He says, therefore, brothers, in light of everything I've just told you about what is coming, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And then I want to couple that with something that Paul says in Colossians three, because in Colossians three he tells us something uh, that's very practically helpful. And it connects a lot of ways to what he says in first Corinthians 15. And so Colossians three verses twenty three and twenty four. He says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so I want us to look at that together and just kind of think through big picture. This our work that we have and the work that God's given us. I want us just to think big idea about work. But then why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult a lot of times when your alarm goes off and you've got to go and do these different things in your day? Why is that so hard? And so think a little bit about that. But then I want us to look at how knowing the ends really helps us to understand and deal with that as we go. And so real two simple points, our work and why is it hard? And then why knowing the end really practically helps in everything we're doing. And so let's just start with that idea of God's work and the work he's given us and the things that we're doing and we're to be about. I remember reading a book uh, years ago by uh, a man named uh, Paul Tripp. If you know who Paul Tripp is, he's been a pastor for a long time. and He's a counselor, really, really good author, written a lot of great books. And I don't even remember the book it was. That I read because I've read several of his. But in this particular one, right at the beginning, he said, if we really believe the first four words of God's word of the scriptures, it changes the way we look at everything. And started to think about that, and he would go on to say, if you know the first four words in the beginning, God. Right. And you stop right there for just a second. There was God in the beginning. There was God. And then God created the heavens and the earth. He made everything. And what Tripp would go on to say is the the false dichotomy that we often get out of the the secular uh, and the holy or the 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 sacred and the profane and the way we like to divide things out that God made it all. And so oftentimes, as that pertains to work now, by the way, we twist and distort all kinds of things in God's good creation, but God made it is his good creation uh, in a good way to be used and enjoyed. And that includes work. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. We're going to come back to this idea next week. Just going to touch on it this morning. But then God created all things. He put Adam and Eve in the garden and then he told them at the end of Genesis one to have dominion and to take over and to to go and fulfill this great mandate that he gives them to to be in the world and uh, use it. And all these things that he gives us, he gives us this uh, mandate to go into work, to do some things. To be about some things. And what I want you to think about is when God does that, that is before the fall. That's before sin has ever entered into the equation. Oftentimes we think of, maybe you don't, I think of work as a responsibility or a thing that we now have to do because of sin. That's the way we often think of it. I have to do this because we're in a fallen, sinful, broken world. And this is but God created work from the very beginning is a good gift. And oftentimes we forget that and we'll start to, to forget that whole picture of what God's doing. And so we were made in God's image after his likeness. Genesis 127, one of the first verses I had my boys memorize, I think uh, I'll go out on a limb here, but I think you could ask them today. What's Genesis 127? They'd be able to tell you right when you're leaving. But God created man in his own image. We say that all the time. We're made as his image bearers are made after his likeness. We're made to be like him in some way where we're what scripture tells us. The only things humans are the only things in creation that are made after God's image in that way to be his image bears. And so he makes us to be like him in some ways. And he gives us reason and he gives us an intellect and he gives us creativity and he gives us gifts and he gives us ways to be productive in his creation. And then he tells us to rule over it and subdue it and have dominion on the earth and go and do these things. That's all in Genesis one, right at the beginning before sin has ever come into the equation. And so God makes us in that way and he gives us this relationship and he's made us to be like him. We often say we were made to glorify God, that is to reflect back who he is. And so glorifying him when we work and we're creative and we do these things that he's put us on the earth to do. We're reflecting back what God's like. If you've ever thought about that, as you go about and you do things and you do your work and you you go and you uh, maybe you build or create or do different things, that's innately in us because we're made in God's image. If you've ever thought about that, you see it in your children or I do. I see it in my kids all the time. Asher loves to draw and he loves to write stories. Uh, Jed likes to draw. They get really, really into it, too. They'll get focused on drawing a picture and then they come and they present it to you and they say, Dad, look at what I did. Now, that's awesome right? They like to create and they like to do those things. Or they've now gotten into a video game that they play on the iPad and it's building cities. They literally build things out of blocks. It's like Legos digitally, right? And they build these buildings. They show me these things that they build and I go, that's incredible. And they spend time doing this basically as much time as you'll let them do this. But they keep doing and creating and building all these things and doing this. And we see that because we're made in God's image. We're made after his likeness. He's given us those marks of his image on us. And we enjoy doing things like that. There's a sense of accomplishment that comes. Whatever it is that you like to do, whether it's uh, maybe you're artistic and you like to draw or or you're a musician or you like to uh, uh, build things or you like to farm or you like to cook. All different things that God's gifted us with point us back to a little bit of what he's like, his creativity in those things. And if you think about it, if we're made in his image, we know that God is wildly creative. Do we not? I mean, I don't think I have to explain. Joanna and I went last week to the Grand Canyon. That's why we weren't here last week. And we stood on the rim of the Grand Canyon and looked at this incredible majesty of what God has created guy standing next to me, two older gentlemen, only other two people there. And the guy turns to his friends and he goes, you see that peak over there and the way that rock is right on top. It looks like somebody designed it that way. And I thought, well, yeah, it does. Right. You see God's creativity. You don't have to go to the Grand Canyon to see that you can look out the window and look at the trees. Think about the way trees work. The roots that are in the ground and it sucks up the water and the nutrients and the way they blossom and all that God put into that or, or go beyond the trees. Look around the room. The different people here that God created with different personalities, uniquely gifted in all different ways, just the creativity it took to create the people sitting right here in this room, forget the rest of the world, just right here. It's really, really remarkable when you think about it. That God is so wildly creative. And so is it any wonder that when we go and we begin to create and do and make things, that there's a great sense of accomplishment that comes with those. It's a great thing. It's a good gift that God's given us. Go subdue the earth. Be over it. Make and do and be about these things. It's the pre-fall that God's given us that. And it comes from a, innately from being made in God's image. And so it's a wonderful, good gift. But the question I really want us to think about is why is it so difficult? Why does work stink a lot of times? Right. Why is it miserable working at C.C.'s Pizza? Right. And with a lot of nice people, by the way, there was nobody bad there. It was just hard. Or why is silk fence so hard? Right. Or the things that we have to get up and be about. Oftentimes it's such a struggle. Well, the picture is God gives us these things and puts this in us pre-fall, right? And he gives us this uh, this ability to do these things in uh, relationship with him, walking with him. And so I want you to think about what Paul says here in Colossians three. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Do your work under the Lord and not for men. God made us. In his image, after his likeness, to walk closely, be in relationship with him, trusting him in all things, and then he said, "You're going to do these work and you're going to do these things." And then the fall happens. What's the first sin? As sin enters the world we say this all the time sin is ignoring God and the world he created. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. We think we know better, and we're now going to make this about what we do and who we are instead of who you are, God. That's really what they did. When they decided we're going to not trust you, we're going to do it on our own. And think about how that affects our work and how that gets into everything. God told them right from the beginning, as soon as they did that, there's going to be repercussions of that. And one of the things he very directly says to Adam as he addresses them is work's going to now be hard. He says this in Genesis chapter three, cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. It's going to be difficult at times. The work that I've given you to do this good gift because you've distorted it, because you've decided to uh, go and and define yourself by what you do instead of who I am, who God is. It's going to be difficult. And it does, it enters in and it starts to become very hard. And one of the main reasons we begin to think about why work becomes so difficult is instead of it being something that glorifies and reflects back who God is, it becomes something that glorifies me. I begin to make my work and see my work about making me and giving me an identity and this is who I am and I want to define myself by what I do. And we all wrestle with that. No matter what job or where you are or what you go about, we all do this in different ways. We begin to make our identity be based on what I do. And it causes all kinds of problems. When we exchange the glory of our creator for the creation and the created things I do being the ends instead of just a means to glorify him, there's going to be all kinds of issues that come with that. And so think about that for just a second about why it's hard. Just think of the spiritual implications when we go down this road. When we make ourselves the center, we now uh, twist work. Instead of being to glorify God, it's glorifying me, validating me. It's where I get my worth from. And what I've done is I've now twisted it completely backwards. It's the same thing we do with religion. If you look around the world when we're not seeing rightly the way God has related to us, that's exactly what we do with all religions. I do some things, and by base what I do, I will earn my worth before God. If I do it well enough, God will love me. I say this all the time, I'm going to say it again today, but that's the exact opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God says, I love you because I love you. I save you because I love you. Yes, you've sinned. Yes, you've rebelled. Yes, you've separated yourself from me, but I'm now going to fix it by what I do. And you have to trust me. That's what God tells us. I love you so much that I'm willing to take your sin and die for you and now restore you to this relationship. But you have to put your faith in me. Right. That's what God says over and over. You have to make it about me instead of yourself. You put your faith in Jesus alone, not in what you do. But we sow because of our sinfulness, because of our self-centeredness. That's at the very heart of our sin is making it all about me. We want to make even our religious activity about ourselves. I do these things so God will accept me. He says, no, 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 that's not the way I work. I love you and accept you and I've made a way in Jesus. So you put your trust in me. We do the same thing with our work all the time. We go about our work and we make it as a way to justify ourselves in what we do. Right? That's why Paul warns us right here in Colossians three, right? He's he's going through and he's talking about uh, relationships between uh, bond servants and their masters, husbands, wives, family, work, all these things, and then he says, "Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men." The Puritans used to have a saying: "Do everything for an audience of one." They had it right. You do it to glorify God in what you do, not to earn your worth with other people. You do your work unto the Lord, not unto men. And the problem we have with work is oftentimes as we seek to get our our meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment in our life by what we do, uh, whether our work, our vocation, our job, paying job or just the things we have in front of us. And so we take something that's a good gift that God's given us and we turn it into an idol. Right? You've heard me say this a lot. We've talked about this a lot. Anything in your life that becomes an idol is taking a good thing and letting it be an ultimate thing. Work is a good thing. It is a good gift from God. We were made to actually work and do some things, but we were made to do it to glorify God, not to get our own identity and self-worth from it. And when we twist it and do it that way, it becomes an idol and it can be anything. Any work that you do, it doesn't have to be your paying job. It can be where you uh, go and volunteer your time. If you get your self-worth by being a volunteer versus I want to glorify God because it's like him, that can become an idol in your life. Being a parent. It's a great way to become an idol in your life. You love your kids dearly. You see them right there. When you have them, you immediately love your children beyond anything you can imagine and so it's very easy to make them the center of your life. The same thing with our job or what we do. So you go to school and you learn how to do something and you get really well at it. And you're proud of that. And it can easily become your primary identity in your life. But the truth is that will never fill you up, whatever it is. And so work can become very difficult. It can become a roller coaster of emotion when your primary identity is tied to that. Perfect example whatever your paying job is you go to a job and you get a promotion you go know, look at me right they're seeing that i'm good they're they're validating me i'm on a high this is great look at how well i'm doing and then what happens if you get a demotion or worse yet you get laid off like we don't really have a need for you anymore right it crushes you if that's your primary identity in your life it's going to be an up and down constantly Kids is a great example. If being a parent is your primary identity, your kids are doing well, they're doing great. Look at how smart they are, how good they are, what they are at sports. And then what happens if they're not so good? Oh, by the way, your kids are going to disappoint you at some point. And if your primary identity is tied up in your children, that's going to be an up and down thing as well. And so we do that and it causes us all kinds of problems when we do that. When we make work our primary means of our identity in our life, it throws us all over the place. And it was never created to be that. That's why that happens. But there's another reason that it tells us in Scripture that works difficult. That's a big part of it, deep spiritual implications of it. But in a fallen, sinful, broken world, there's a certain amount of futility now built in. Romans 8 talks about this. That the world creation is groaning under the weight of sin. When God speaks to Adam and Eve in the garden, he says there's going to be some things that are really hard and difficult now because of sin in the world. He tells them that right from the beginning. And so there's a very difficult part of it that it's just inherent. There's an inherent futility in the world because we're not using it the way it was intended to be used, namely to glorify God. We've made it all these other things. And so it becomes very difficult in different ways. There's a ton of examples to give you. This is probably a pretty silly one, but I think it illustrates the point pretty well. Have you ever tried to clean your house really well with small children living with you? It's really, really frustrating, right? There's an inherent futility in that. You get it all together and things put away. I was home on Friday with the boys, cleaned the whole kitchen, had it great. Went outside to clean the car because it was disgusting, too because there's these tiny humans that just destroy it. And I got done 30 minutes later and come back in and it looks like a has hit the kitchen. Literally. I mean, there's stuff everywhere. Jed had decided to make shakes for everybody in the neighborhood. Milkshakes. With chocolate chips in them. Using a Cuisinart. Which is not to make shakes with. But that's, I mean, I say that half joking, but it is true. There's an inherent futility. Or, or I mow my, my lawn and it looks great. And it's all good and it's perfect. And then guess what happens a week later? It looks like it did before I started and I got to do it all over again. And then I spend three days after I do it, not being able to breathe. Right. And so it's just there's things everywhere in a fallen, broken world that leads to a futility. And it's frustrating it's hard. It's built in because we're not using it the way God designed it. And so often we're using it to be all about ourselves and misusing it. And those things that inherent uh, futility is built in. There's a great uh, short story. I came across it because Tim Keller wrote a book on work, this idea called Every Good Endeavor. And I really enjoyed the book. But right at the beginning of the book, he points to a short story by J.R.R. R. Tolkien. If you know who Tolkien is, he wrote a uh, Lord of the Rings, wrote the whole trilogy. He was a Christian. He wrote Lord of the Rings to try to flesh out in a a story about what God's doing in his redemption. And, And he wrote this short story in the middle of struggling with writing those books. He was really having a hard time. And in the short story, it was called Leaf by Niggle. Right. Niggle is the main character's name. Now, Niggle means literally to fiddle or work in an ineffective manner. Right. And so Niggle is the main character and he wants to be a painter and he loves to paint, but he never has time to paint. In fact, Tolkien says at the beginning of the story, as a painter, he wasn't very good because he had many other things to do. Right. He was constantly being interrupted and he was constantly frustrated. But he had this vision of this painting. And so he bought this giant canvas to paint a great big, huge tree. And the story leaf by Niggle, he only ever got one leaf done. Right. And as the story comes, he started to see that he was going to die. It was imminent. And he was so distraught that I'm never going to finish my painting. And then he dies and he only painted one leaf. And you read the story. And as I read it and I thought about it and I read through it, I went, man, I read that story. I thought this is me in so, so many ways. All the things I want to do and I want to be out and I want to have time for and I want to get on with and I never get to it or you just get one little part of it. Or you just get a little taste of it. And I feel all those things and I see that as I was looking. That's the way often it feels in a fallen, sinful, broken world. You never get to all those things. And it can be very, very frustrating at times. It can be very difficult. And so I want us just to think for the last couple of minutes here is how do what we know is coming in God's redemption and his story and what he's doing shed light on how we can rest and how we can work to the fullest, how we can do what Paul tells us to do, despite how difficult it is, despite how frustrating it can be at different times. And so think of what he says in First Corinthians 15:58. Therefore, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If you know, first Corinthians 15, we went through first Corinthians a couple years ago, we went through that whole chapter. And it is a beautiful chapter of the promise of what is to come in Christ. He goes on about us being changed from mortal beings to immortal, that all things are going to be put under the lordship of Jesus, including death. Right. And he gets to the end. We read that just a minute ago. Oh, death. Where is your sting? Where is your victory? You've got nothing. Right? I, I remember preaching a sermon on that years ago and my brother used to talk trash to me when we played basketball and he'd say, eat it. Right? And the title of that sermon was eat at death. Right. You don't have anything here because of what God's done. And that's what he's saying in First Corinthians 15. And he lays out and he says, we're going to go from the natural man to the spiritual man. What's uh, sown in dishonor is going to be raised in glory. Our weakness is now going to be power. And he takes this incredible picture And he tells you all these things of what it's going to look like. And then the conclusion Paul comes to is in light of that, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work will not be in vain. It won't be in vain because of what's to come. And I want you to think about that picture that scripture paints for us. You see it in Revelation chapter 21, when Jesus, the lamb on his throne says, behold, I am making all things new. And when he says that new means not young, like firstborn, new, like a new baby, but set in its pristine condition, restored. Jesus also uses in Matthew 19 the word regeneration to describe the new world. Regeneration means making all things as they were meant to be, setting all things right. And that's the picture that you see throughout Scripture. You see that coming up over and over an incredible picture that Jesus is going to redeem all things and set all things right. And so I want us just to think for just a second, how do we look at our work and the futility of it and the frustration of it in light of what Jesus is going to do? Because it changes the way we look at all of it or it should And so when we read here in Colossians three, he says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. The inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth of all things set right. Being with Jesus in fullness of glory, that that's what's coming. And he says, so in light of that, work heartily for the Lord and not for men. Set your sights on eternal and what God's going to do, and so when we start to think about that picture of what God's doing and what He's uniquely gifted you to do and the different tasks He's given you, you're not earning your worth before him. You're glorifying who He is and what He's done and what He's going to do. It, we're, we're creating foretastes of the fullness of what His kingdom's going to look like. We get to be part of that right now. And we know it's not going to be in vain because he's going to bring it to a fullness of its beauty and glory when he returns. And so even when we're frustrated and we kind of struggle along and we have bad days and those different things and we have frustrating days, when there's futility in the days of what we're trying to do, we have a hope that it's going to come to fruition. I love the story, the leaf by Niggle and the reason Keller brings it into his book is Niggle dies, right? Right creating one leaf, frustrated, goes to his deathbed so upset that he's only made this one leaf of his beautiful picture. But the story ends that Nigel dies and he goes to heaven and he goes. And as he's going out in the new heavens and the new earth, he gets on his bike and he's riding off through a field and he comes upon a tree, a tree more beautiful than anything he's ever seen. And then he realizes it's his tree. The tree that he wanted to create, the thing that he wanted to do, that he could never quite bring together. And there it was. And Niggle stands before his tree and he goes, ah, it's a gift. And he rejoices of what God has done in bringing the fullness of it. And so when I think on that and I think of what scripture tells us about regeneration and all God's going to do. And then I read First Corinthians 15. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What a wonderful promise that we have. And so as I get up tomorrow and I do my work, I'm going to blow it. And I'm not going to fully see all of it come together and it's not going to be all perfect. But in Christ, it's going to find its fulfillment. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the great and mighty promises that you've given us, that you are a God so great and so mighty, and so wonderful, and so huge, that you are going to redeem all things, that we can work knowing that our work is for your glory, and that you are going to bring those things to fruition, and for that we thank you, that we can rest in the truth of that. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, that our, uh, our identity and our worth is not tied up in our work, but that you allow us to do that, to honor you and glorify you in all things. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.